Right, so welcome Luke Jordan back to um, Keenan Yoga. Um, today we're going to have a little chat on the philosophy and Samkhya. Um, it's lovely to have you back, Luke. And lovely after to be the back last chat, uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> after the last chat, I'm I'm going to be a lot less argumentative and um, oh. a lot like the, I love, <laughs> but I did love I, I loved the uh, the comparison to a yogic Jeremy Paxman. I thought that was brilliant, and um, I was kind of proud of that when uh, when you mentioned that. Um, but uh, nevertheless, um, this is going to be a harmonious chat on Samkhya. Um, Luke's passed on some notes on Samkhya. I'm, I think Luke is actually much more qualified than I. Um, you've got an MA, I think, from SOAS. I did. I did. Right? Yeah, I did a master's yeah. degree, in, and uh, the topic of my dissertation was on the relationship between uh, Samkhya and yoga, uh, and particularly as it relates to the notion of free will and determinism. That sounds fantastic. Um, well. Before we get onto that, I suppose it's you know fair to say that Luke is an advanced Ashtanga practitioner, so definitely a practitioner in the field as well as someone who's interested in thinking. Um, I know that Luke's very interested in thinking because we've had many chats in India over the years, and uh, you know uh, so he combines them both really um, as a senior Ashtanga teacher and a uh, yeah a very very thoughtful um, and deep thinker. Um, so right, I mean uh, along those lines, the the, the process of Samkhya. Um, it's a process of experiential inquiry, you write. Uh, Absolutely, what, yeah. You know, right, so what, what do you mean by that um, exactly? Yeah, I, I thought the Samkhya needed, you know, was very clear kind of numerical. It means number, doesn't it? So there's it a kind means of number. Numer- numerical system to kind of categorize this is real, this is not real. Um, That's exactly right. Right, yeah. Uh, well, I think what has to be remembered is that Sankhya and yoga uh, traditionally uh, it's only really in the modern scholarship that they've been quite clearly divided as being separate from one another. Uh, and traditionally, the way the yoga school thinks of itself, if you go back to the early commentators like uh, Vyasa or Vachaspati Mistra, uh, they see yoga as a form of Sankhya. And so what we're, I mean, if you go to the Bhagavad Gita as well, there's a, there's a, a section in the, in the second chapter where Krishna says something like, those who see Sankhi and Yoga as two separate things are idiots. Yeah. Uh, because yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the wise truly sees that they are one. Yeah, they're one thing. Uh, so what, I think what we want to look at is uh, Sankhi as being a form of Yoga. And for me, yoga is very much a form of experiential inquiry. And uh, can we just back up there and say, like, the division? Sorry, the division for people that don't know, yoga is also one of the six darshanas, right? So it's a it's a kind of classical kind of world viewpoint within the Sanatana Dharma or Hinduism, as it were, of which Samkhya is one of them, Vedanta is one of them, Yoga is one of them. I mean, and um, I mean, to clarify, and they're, they're, they're often paired together as well. So yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say that like, I mean, Samkhya right. and Yoga are often paired together. Are one, right? So that, that was my question, you know, as a preliminary question actually to you, and maybe you know for, for readers as well. Um, and I'm sorry for my ignorance, but is there any difference between the actual? perspective of yoga and samkhya as philosophies or is yoga just the, the active branch of samkhya perhaps they should have started like that uh it's that's a that's a, a very good question and it really depends upon who you talk to uh, the if you read the scholarship the scholarship is uh quite divided uh between those who see uh samkhya as being something very different from yoga and those who see uh, Sankhya and Yoga being essentially the two sides of the same coin. Um, well, when I say it's highly divided, I would say it's probably about 70-30. Most people nowadays, in contradistinction to the tradition, believe that Sankhya is something separate from Yoga. Uh, and, you know, we could argue why that is. Uh, but I think the point to note is that it is in contradistinction to the tradition of how yoga has traditionally seen itself. So it's it's quite a modern development. That all sounds highly technical. Let's let's rewind again. I sure. mean, just to try and keep this as a, you know as as broadly uh, appealing as possible, and yeah. uh, ask you 
how and what is Samkhya? I mean, I should have started with that question, okay. really. Okay. Look, before, let, let's go back to the nuts and bolts. <laughs> what, what, right? I mentioned it as a numbering system. Well, obviously, uh-huh. we have the idea of Prakriti, Purusha, and the Gunas. And this yes. is the fun. And, and Samkhya, and we've got to say that Samkhya is really the fundamental uh, philosophy that underpins the Bhagavad Gita. Um, I think it's fair to say that Patanjali is also a Samkhya in the Yoga well, Sutras. It, also it, it Samkhya underlines text. all of the philosophical systems of India. Uh, so in Advaita, on their level of uh, you know common sense reality, they still say that the the Sankhya yeah. system holds. In Tantra, right. it also follows the Sankhya system. It holds. So, it's, yeah. it's, it's, so what is it? What is it? It's the well. I mean, what you said at the beginning was uh, so. Yes, it's it, the word Sankhya means number, and. Uh, it looks like a kind of spiritual quantity surveying, right? Yeah. Like you said, yeah. we've got a bit of this, we've got a bit of this, we've got a bit of this. So it outlines uh, 25 or sometimes 26 aspects of reality, which they call the tattvas. Uh, but these aspects of reality, they're not, it's not just like some kind of philosophical, uh, logically worked out system. The way I understand it is that it's from the result of experience. And the experience of moving from uh, gross levels of awareness to more subtle layers of awareness. So we start out and we're people in the world. And the world is composed of what they call the Mahabuddhas which is, you know, earth, water, fire, air, ether, right? So that's how they see the world being made up. And uh, then, you know, a person may or may not begin uh, to inquire into, well, what is this world? Uh, And, of course, the person themselves is, is made up of organs of knowledge, you know, the seeing or the uh, eyes and the ears and the nose etc etc and organs of action and normally these uh, organs of knowledge and organs of action are orientated out into the world Uh, and then through a mysterious process which we might call spiritual seeking somebody wishes to know what this world is and what it's all about and then begins a process of involution uh what's called in the yoga sutras i think it's pratiprasava uh which means like a a return to the origin uh and in that process what happens then is there's a uh, a meditation on these gross aspects of reality uh, which which are seen for what they are, and then these gross aspects of reality reveal underneath them uh, more subtle layers. Mm. So practically uh, speaking, how how do we get from X to Y? So so if Samkhya mm. is a kind of as you said a kind of spiritual surveying, which it certainly seems to me that way. I mean, well, we're talking I, I, of I, that. I would say that that categorizing of reality comes from experiential observation of meditation. Right. So but and that, that really is tr- what the process tr- is. They're talking about meditation explicitly, because as I you know, as I was saying, like you've kind of got this jnana yoga, really is this jnana yoga, the, the yoga of kind of knowledge, right? Separating out what is real from unreal, what is and we haven't talked yet about, you know, the idea that you've got basically a dualistic system, right? You, as I understand it, you've mm-hmm. got Prakriti, which is matter, which is everything pretty much, and then you've got God and the person, the Atman, right? Like you got, so you've got Brahma. And Atman, well, they, they don't is, call it God which, in Sankhya. Yeah. Uh, right, they not, don't really like God so much. Not, not, well, it's not that but, they don't like God, uh, but it's it's uh, in the Sankhya Karika, uh, which is only one form of Sankhya. Uh, it's athe- it's not atheistic because it. God isn't useful to the the, the, the mm. process of awakening. So, so you, 
to continue, you've got, got Prakriti and you've got Purusha. And what you're trying to do is essentially use your, your, your mental faculties to divide what's self and what's real, um, what's permanent, you know, uh, pure, and uh, and uh, from what uh, and unchanging from what is uh, what is matter, which is constantly in change and, and a mix of aggregates um, and and impermanent. So, um, as I understand it, I mean, what the Bhagavad Gita is trying to do is kind of fuse a practical, experiential kind of methodology onto something which does seem quite clinical in a way. This kind of almost numerological categorization of this is i mean they're kind of netty netty not real not real you know mm-hmm. i mean you know how how would you you mentioned a, a kind of fleshing out of this process of meditation as well but i i, I don't well i suppose there is well, I, 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 I think the thing to remember with it is is that the uh the the tattvas the constituents of reality that are called the tattvas uh are laid out as a result of experience they are not the experiential tool themselves. They are simply what Sankhya lays out as a result of the experience that's occurred, uh, as a result of the mystical experience uh, that, you know, that, that proceeds through layers of subtlety, you know, past and beyond the uh, sense of an individual uh, to an overarching mystical well you, you know you could say oneness uh, but it's it's actually the dissolution of the individual as a separate sense of self uh, or as a conscious separate sense of self uh, so how does one get there from from this kind of rather kind of um, you know kind of thought-based Kind of a labeling of, of the world and seeing them, but, you know. So this is this is where I think the mistake is made. I don't I don't think Sankhya is a thought based system. the The thoughts about what reality is comes from experiential insight, uh, and to confuse the the map that results as a result of that experiential insight is to confuse what Sankhya is. Uh, which for me is Sankhya is a process of yoga, which is uh, an observational, experiential contact with reality as it presents itself. How would yoga look different in the methodology? And let's take it as practically as we can. How would yoga look different if, if we didn't accept uh, the gunas and uh, and the idea of a real and unreal and a dualistic system? I mean, you know, because you yourself have been very interested in a more kind of uh, Advaita Vedantic kind of, you know, um, thought-based system. So, I mean, is there, is there a difference for the practitioner as to whether we accept a, a kind of dualistic system or a system which uh, says everything is, is one. Well, it depends what kind of practition you're talking about because uh, a lot of the modern practices don't really uh, have a tangential relationship to either Patanjali or Sankhya. Uh, you know, if we look at the actual kind of practices that Patanjali's talking about, he's, you know, he's essentially talking about meditation. Uh, and experiencing reality, and he follows exactly the same processes of uh, subtilization of awareness as the Sankhya system seems to be presenting, which is, you know, asatoma, satgamaya, tamasoma, jyotir. We move from that which is more dense to that which is more subtle, that which is more dense to that which is more subtle, and the process of that is awareness. And like even as I was practicing this morning, I was I was just noticing, wow, when I did that movement, it was still uh it was still a habit. You know, it was still like a samskaric movement. And you know, I think most people when they're doing whatever practices they're doing, they're still doing it in a habitual samskaric way rather than in a uh, observational present moment awareness of what's really occurring in the here and now. Mm, mm. And I think what, what we call what we call what we observe in that, whether we call that guna or whether we call it anything else, is irrelevant. Uh, I think 
the the act of present moment awareness and observation is the is the tool, uh, whether it be of yoga or sankhya, and through the implementation of that tool, we, if we're fortunate enough, uh, get to see something more subtle underlying something that exists on a more gross level. I'll, I'll, I think it's a good time then to talk about free will in, in oh. as it relates to, to Sankey. <laughs> well, I mean, because you're talking about refining awareness and as if, as if the individual has choice, but we, we well know that we have, you know, the Samkhya, at a certain point, the ideas of karma and uh, reincarnation crept in, and uh, you know the individual is then bound by their own karma. In fact, it says, and obviously in the Gita, even the, you know, as you quoted before, e- you know, even the wise, even the liberated, they're still bound by their own. You know, they're still their body and their mind is still bound by their own karma, and they go uh, with their their own karma. So, I think um, on, like on I, the, I, I think described another point is like puppets on a on a on a machine. They, you know, that we are yeah. controlled. So. So, um, you know, how does that relate then to uh, the possibility of actually refining awareness? Or are we just stuck in a kind of trap where we're consistently controlled by our karma, one I mean, thing this, to the next and kind of can't an, escape? It's an absolutely fascinating question for me. And uh, ultimately, it's a paradox, which, uh, you know, we're damned if we do and we're damned if we don't. There's there's no fundamental answer to this paradox. But just I just found this quote that's because uh, I was reading my thesis in preparation to talk with you, Adam. And it's a quote from the Bhagavad Gita, also about the notion of free will. Uh, and it says, and this is from the Bhagavad Gita, chapter three, verse twenty-seven. And it says, actions in all cases are performed by the qualities of nature. The gunas. He whose mind is confused by egoism imagines, "I am the doer." Mm. So mm. this this sense. I mean, this is this is from the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, not saying that the Bagavad Gita speaks, you know, God's truth. Uh, I'm just, you know, we're just talking about different philosophical positions that uh, the different. Uh, Different schools within the Indian tradition. Too. Yeah, and the Gita, the Gita is always a good place to start if in doubt. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, of course, right. some people will say that whatever the, the Gita says is the God's truth. But then, of course, the problem with the Gita is that it will have one verse which is in direct opposition to this verse. Yeah. So it, yeah. it, 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 you know, you can well all of the philosophies have this: is that you can you can either take this side or you can take this side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can you can have this argument. Uh, but the other thing that I want to say was my uh, my interest in the concept of free will and determinism and the lens through which I read uh, a lot of these philosophies is influenced by a guy called Ramesh Balsakar, uh, who who I met a long time ago. Uh, yeah, I, I went to him as well in Mumbai. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so events I- happen. Deeds are done, consequences yeah, happen, yeah, yeah. there is no individual yeah. doer thereof. Uh, you know, but then who, who can escape their own karma then? If there's this, there's this, I mean, that, that's something I was actually reading a lot about more recently, is that you've got this kind of un, untouched self there, you know, like who, who never, never changes, never does anything. And you've got all these actions that, you know, and you've got the, so how does one correlate to the other? Right? How do you get to the, and, and, and is there karma for this untouched self? Obviously not. So it's all a bit well, confusing. It, right? I, I, I would agree with you. I would agree with you. Say, is there karma for this untouched self? Uh, when you say absolutely not, uh, I would I would agree with you on that. Uh, but funny enough, a lot of the scholars would disagree with you. So Mikkel Burley, who wrote a fantastic book on Sankhya, he's. I mean, they all have difficulties in doing it, but they're all saying that somehow this Purusha, this consciousness, has. Uh, has has volition, uh, and if something has volition, then it has karma. But the the position of the Sankhya Karika, and as far as I understand it, the Bhagavad Gita, is really clear that there is no free will in Purusha. There is no karma in Purusha. Purusha, as your witnessing self, is forever untainted. Uh, by the touch of prakriti, by the touch of uh, the gunas, 
And so you you ask, well, how did this all come about? And uh, the you know the philosophical answer of Sankhya is, is a little bit uh, unsatisfying. And uh, so what they say is that prakriti exists. Well, I mean, <laughs> we we can always use our mind to make a position acceptable to us. So sometimes when I've been thinking about this, it's it's I've gone, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but for in this point in time, it's an unsatisfactory answer. Uh, and that is that prakriti exists in a state of perfect equilibrium. So the three, the three gunas, sattva, rajas, and tamas, are, you know, you can kind of imagine it like a, uh, an ocean that's perfectly still or a lake that's perfectly still. There's, there's not a ripple whatsoever. And somehow, mysteriously, uh, without reason, I mean, it's a bit like the Big Bang, right? Uh, without reason, there is a, a closeness that happens between Purusha and this Prakriti that's in a perfectly balanced equilibrium state. And as a result of this witnessing, uh, prakriti begins to move. The, the rajas is stirred and it begins to move and it has a parinama, a, a transformation. Uh, and I don't know if this is just me, but the, the way I like to think of this is, is uh, there's like a, it's like somebody who's being watched and there's somebody who's watching. Or you know, it's like a kind of voyeuristic thing. And the person who is being watched, let's say it's a, a beautiful woman who is uh, who, who likes to be watched, who maybe has exhibitionist <laughs> tendencies. Don't uh, carry away here. Yeah. This is this is the this is the <laughs> adult version. Yeah, it's all getting a bit creepy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but then, uh, but then, in this knowing that the watching is happening, there begins to be a dance. Uh, and this is the dance of prakriti that, that happens uh, with the witnessing conscious of Purusha. And so the gunas then just transform and there is an aliveness to their movement as they transform from one thing to another. Mm. But according, we can, we can to the, according to the Sankhya Karika, there's not a consciousness because the consciousness uh, exists only in the witnessing consciousness, only in the purusha. The prakriti, the gunas, are unfolding, they're dancing according to their own inherent nature. And so it's like once they've been set off, there is a, determinate, there is a deterministic flow to the way they evolve. So as an individual grappling with this and their own suffering and difficulties and wanting to change and, you know, progress as we all read this stuff because there's something inherently unsatisfactory about experience at the end of the day, right? Um, you know, not because we like to think, but because we're, you know, essentially not satisfied with what's going on. And, you know, and, and people watching this will have the same experience and be asking, well, how then does one grapple with one's own karma if, you know, like cause and effect a whole long chain that is already determined you know like you're talking about awareness is that a way to break the chain and uh, you know um and why bother in the first place if the self is always over here completely fine and happy what's going on down here that's completely controlled and how does one get from one thing to the other I mean, these, these are really good questions, and I think oh, I so. my understanding of the uh, my my reading of Sankhya uh, would suggest that whether or not you turn to spirituality, whether or not you uh, seek a spiritual means to relieve yourself of your suffering, uh, because you know, most people are seeking ways to re relieve their suffering. 
the the things that they're not happy with in life, whether it be through earning more money or drinking or taking drugs or hiding in, you know, relationships or hiding even in spiritual practices. Um, whatever it is one happens to be doing is uh, according to the system as I understand it is as a, a result of nature so whether or not you end up seeking to relieve your suffering through spiritual means or uh, through investigative means uh has got nothing to do with you. It's an impersonal happening, which is as a, as a result of the turnings, the vrittis of the gunas, which might be kind of unsatisfactory for somebody wanting to have an answer. Uh, but, yeah, or wanting you know, to take personal volition to change something. I mean, what are we doing? And then it's like, we come back to the kind of conversation we had previously. It's like, well, what are we doing in yoga in the first place? If you're trapped by your own karma, and it will be as it is when you're born, you know, sets of a cause and effect. You can't do anything other than what's set off. Yeah. Why Why bother doing anything then is, the, is a classic because, kind of question, isn't it? Well, that, that's it. And uh, you, because you can't not do it would be the, the, the answer. It's not my answer, but it's the answer that uh, would be my reading of what Sankhya would say, or even somebody like what Ramesh Balsakar would say. You, you can't not do what you're doing. And if you do do something else, well, that's because that's also what you're meant to be doing. And this idea about yoga kind of purifying, right? You have it in the Gita that um, um, well, it's there for clarification of consciousness and kind of concentration, the physical practice of yoga. I mean, we know it's also used tantrically for kind of purifying the energy of the body. Um, later on in the chapters, I think there's a, it starts to become like uh, talked about in this manner, like the body is the field and the energy in the body, the faith in the body um, is, is embodied. That, that you know the, the one's belief state is embodied in the physical body. Um, is this something you would subscribe to? This idea that yoga, the behavioural action, is does actually have a, 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 a transformative effect on on one's own karma, one's own well, awareness. Well, I, I think I think it can do, depending upon where it's, it, it, it's coming from. If it's coming from uh you know the ego can co-opt everything so if it's uh an ego ambition to become a purer being in order to be more spiritual then from the outset uh it's uh it's not going to work uh because uh any action well this is to quote yuji krishnamurti it just comes to my mind he said any action born of the mind is violent so any action born of the ego is, is violent. So my understanding of the yoga process is that at each stage, there's a deepening surrender of ego uh, to go deeper. But of course, what's the thing about surrendering the ego is the ego can't surrender the ego. Uh, so then we come back to a notion of there being some kind of grace uh, or surrendering that happens, or even it's it's like the I guess like the Zen way is that the mind gets so caught up in trying to answer a question that can't be answered that eventually it you know it gives up, uh, and I think this is what the process of samadhi actually is. You know when they talk or uh, sannyasa is whenever you whenever you get insights on certain levels, it's because you focused on something so completely that the mind dissolves into it. Uh, and I think that's really what the process of yoga and Sankhya is, is that meditation on something so completely that uh, the, yeah. the ego is dissolved. Is that and what you as would a result of that insight is generated? You you kind of would suggest that's what we're doing in a, in a in a physical practice. 
if we try, I mean, if we're trying to kind of make a, a, a kind of synthesis between yeah. Samkhya and, uh, you know, the, the physical idea of yoga, or even the yoga of the Bhagavad Gita, the uh-huh. yoga of action, how it, do it, they relate together? It, well, what, what Krishna says to Arjuna is that the yoga of action is exactly the same as Jnana Yoga, the, uh, the Samkhya that he's calling is exactly the same as outside yoga in the world when you whenever you relate to it the the yoga in the world as you relate to it is action done which already has that awareness of who you truly are uh and of course arjuna doesn't get it so he keeps giving him new ways of looking at it and eventually he just says you know you love me right well then do it out of love for me because that's as close as you're going to get so, I don't know that. I don't know if that answered your question or not. Well, no, we're not looking for answers. We're just looking for a shout, aren't we? But, yeah, no, exactly, we're, we're, exactly. Get, we're getting we're getting some good we're getting some good stuff here. Don't worry. I mean, what about back? What about back to you then? Because essentially, we have you know, yana yoga, you know, very similar to samkhya, um, the process of knowledge. You know, even if we take out the yoga part, um, which you're suggesting that samkhya is yoga. Um, and then you, but in the in the Gita, we seem to have a slight polarity. We have yoga, which is kind of bhakti. You know, you, you, you know. Deeds are done and practices are done for the sense of knowing me, knowing Krishna. No, right? um, so there's a, there's, so you have your yoga, which is kind of a, a, an action, a, a fruit, a, a fruitless action, or not a fruitless action, but an action without desire for a particular conclusion, done for the sake of devotion. And then you've got yana yoga, which is a so that would be also yoga right? practice. Would be hmm. so whenever you take the goal out of it. Like the goal of being an enlightened person, the goal of being a better person, the goal even of getting rid of your suffering, then it's yoga, according to Krishna. But as long as as long as yoga is a a project of ego to get from A to B, to get somewhere, according to Krishna, it's not yoga because there's no vairagya. What is vairagya? Vairagya means coming out of raga, and raga is desire. So if you have a desire for enlightenment, uh, and you're using whose enlightenment? It's only the ego wants to be enlightened, because it sees this idea uh, that it can attain something. It can attain the one thing that will make it better than everybody else. Uh, And... Well, it's another thing that Ramesh Balsakar said. He said, if you have a choice between uh, a million dollars or enlightenment, take the million dollars because uh, somebody will be there to enjoy it. You know, enlightenment, you're not there. It's there, There's another one. There's a really nice scholar who I like. He's called Lloyd Fluger, and he's, he's the one who's... Uh, position most closely resembles my own on this subject and he says it's like spiritual dentistry that you think you have a toothache so you go to the dentist and instead of him pulling the tooth he pulls you out so so the tooth remains but you are gone what about the process of bhakti then how does that inform your practice i mean the, the if we're talking about ego less we're talking about devoting the self or the ego or, or devoting to something other than our own ego, devoting to something other than us. I mean, is that relational to this quantifying of, of real and non-real? How does that fit in? Well, it's, uh, like in terms of my practice, like on a good day, there's observation. And what the observation brings is an awareness of how the ego runs through habitual grooves. And uh, the act of observation disturbs the running of those uh, habitual grooves and can open up another space, which, of course, can then be, again, co-opted by ego. Uh, You know, as far as as bhakti goes, uh, you know, in, in terms of sankhya, and I would suggest yoga as well. Uh, there's not a lot of mention of bhakti. And so uh, 
but the Bhakti movements developed as a separate uh, religious cult, whether it was for uh, Vishnu or for Shiva. Uh, but you know, you know, essentially, what is Bhakti? Bhakti is love, and whenever you do what you love. Uh, for the love of doing it, whatever it happens to be, you know, if, if you love singing and you, you, you sing just for the love of mm. singing and, mm. and not to gain attention, not to gain, you know, recognition. I mean, is this, is this, is this that, the that ultimate view of Samkhya? Yeah. I mean, it, would that be the ultimate view that Samkhya is taking? Um, because that would seem unsatisfactory to many, a kind of looking for an overarching metaphysical viewpoint right i mean i think you talked about this before that just uh, simply mm. the doing for the sake of it and it's just like well that for me in, in contemplating my own death in a few years doesn't you know it's not kind of a salute well you know it could be now could be tomorrow could be you know in, in 20 but the main point is that it, you know if not now tomorrow or if not tomorrow sometime soon and you know at the end of the day, that doesn't seem adequate for me. That you know, like um, you know, just doing and 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 making hay while the sun shines. Um, as I said to someone else, and they said, "Well, that's exactly it. Uh, that's exactly it." And I, for me, that isn't adequate. I want some kind of metaphysical kind of ontology here. Um, and uh, chapter two of the Gita, you know, turns it out nicely. Right, you have this process of reincarnation, and you know, you're going on this whole journey, and you know, um, you know, you're not going to, you know, in Do you need? Your, I suppose the second the question chapter of the Bhagavad just... Gita is, uh, you know, it's the chapter on Sankhya and Yoga, and so the underlying that metaphysics is the question: Well, who is transmigrating? And it's it's the gunas, and it's the it's that motion of cause and effect, uh, and the only way out of that is to realize that one is not the doer. I, I mean, as according to my understanding of the Gita. Uh, and the philosophical systems that underline that chapter is we don't we don't have a choice, and what's going to happen is what's going to happen. And if we're looking for peace, the the only way towards getting that is by surrendering to where we find ourselves, and that doesn't preclude having uh, wanting to do things in the world or it doesn't preclude uh, having actions in the world just as it doesn't preclude Arjuna from going out onto the battlefield and slaughtering thousands of people uh, but presumably because he's or as Krishna's telling him because he's in touch with who he really is in the process of doing that. That's a great excuse, right. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You can really, you can really do what you want as long as long as you know that you're not really the doer. There's, there's then, uh, always you know, a way. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, fantastic, isn't it? It's a fantastic. You know, I mean, on a, ser on a serious note, though, I've always wondered: does the, does the yoga idea make any sense whatsoever if you take out the idea of reincarnation? If you, if you take out the fact that there isn't really an individual as we know it going forward, okay, maybe there's some aggregates or something, you know, or some kind of interdependency that goes forward, you know. But if you take out that individual sense of self, does the whole proposition make any sense to, to devote? Well, because yoga's know, always been, me, and it's always me, been transcendental as, as, a, as a metaphysical uh, expose, going out of the world to something greater, right? I mean, for me, if you take reincarnation out of it, it's absolutely fine because reincarnation at the end of the day, unless, I don't know, you're able to access your own bardo and, you know, have the experience of your past lives, it's just a belief. And uh, for me, what yoga is pointing towards is that which is beyond belief. Uh, you know, the definition of yoga, yoga is chitta vritti nirodaha, uh, is the, so it's the stopping of the turnings of the mind. And all of the beliefs that we have are turnings of the mind. They're all narratives and stories that we carry with us. So all of our beliefs and all of our creeds are absent. In why, why, why the hell, as, as, um, uh, as Ramesh said, as Ramesh Balsagar said to you, or you know, you heard, um, 
why the hell would you want to do that if there isn't a reincarnation? Why would the hell would you not want to be an individual? And even um, actually, at one point, uh, Christian says to Arjuna, "Go out and enjoy the victory, right? You know, like you'll be celebrated, right? You, you know, like go oh, and slaughter, yes, you know, yes, yeah." And it's like go and enjoy, you know. If we take well, out the transcendental, if, if, if we take out the transcendental um, from the equation, then then why the hell would you want to chitavriti? You know that that just would seem like a you know a waste wasting the gift you've been given in in a way, unless there's something other to be found in this uh, you know in this scenario of of life. Hmm. So I'm not sure what you're what you're saying there, Adam. Are you saying? Uh, well, take the million dollars. Oh, you're saying why? 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 Well, why, 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 yes, why, why would you seek to stop the individuality in the mind rather than take the individual the, as a, as an individual with it with his million dollars or whatever experience he's enjoying, and, and continue along that path? And you know the, the spiritual texts all start from the same place. So when when Arjuna, uh, well, even Plato does. Let's, let's be frank. Well, they, they start from the same place in, in that, so Arjuna, his first place is despondency. He, he's there on the battlefield and he's, his mind is whirring like crazy and he doesn't know what to do and he's suffering. And the same in the Sankhya Karika is the second, I think it's the second verse, says, because of the suffering of the world, because of the suffering of the, I don't know, the three kinds of afflictions, we seek cause for their remedy. Uh, and I know Vyasa's commentary on the Yoga Sutras begins with the same place. Is we've tried everything else to try to remove our suffering, and nothing's worked. So we're not we're we're uh, so that's you know that's his introduction to the word Atta Yoga Anushasana. Now that we've tried everything else, now Atta Yoga Anushasana. Now the discipline of yoga. Uh, and that's that's why we get into it is because we're not happy and nothing that the the world has to offer us really satisfies uh, you know the, we, we we have Buddhism starts from the same place as well is you know because of, it's because of suffering that we seek because we know that inherently the outside world is impermanent and unsatisfactory. But what we're not realizing is that the core at the core of that suffering is ourselves as mistaken ego identities. So it's, it's almost like there's a kind of suicide button in spirituality because the very self that goes seeking is the very self that would be removed if the spiritual search is to be successful. Although well, we don't, there, there we don't was an know actual, that. There's we an actual suicide that that in Brahmanism and Jainism. You know, I mean, they would obviously right, um, yeah. self-immolate quite often or, or starve themselves. Um, That's their highest the, spiritual practice. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, um, going back to the idea of the duality. I mean, does it make any difference that Samkhya is a dual system in terms of, as I mentioned before, I, I, I kind of wanted to circle back to that again. You know, I'm, you know, you you often talk about this, you know, in more kind of advisor terms, and this is this is what is. This is, you know, I do something because I enjoy it, right? And and then there's this, you know, real and unreal paradigm, you know, fleshed out in the whole yoga. Philosophy. Is there any difference to you as a practitioner? Um, I mean, you know, or or put it in a very basic way, what is it exactly you're aiming for? Is it uh, is it transcendence it, it, going forward, or or is it just an imminent sense of awareness right now? I mean, uh, what are you doing? Well, uh, what, you, you what am I doing as a as a practitioner? What am I doing? Yeah, I have no, I have no idea. You know, this is this is what keeps me going. This is I was what hoping you to tell me. Sustains me, me yeah. in my life. No, I mean, I really wish I knew. It's it's a mystery to me. Uh, I mean, obviously, there there's lots of very good reasons uh, why to do practice. You know, it keeps the body healthy. It can, you know, can take the mind off other things. Uh, but if if 
if I was hoping for anything, uh, it would be to accept what is. And I don't really see uh, that practice is going to do that for me. You know, uh, I, <laughs> you know, it's gonna, it's gonna happen, or it's not gonna happen, or it happens in some moments, and it doesn't happen in other moments. And it's so just, that, yeah, for, we're mm. here watching the unfolding of life. And so you don't, you don't subscribe to the idea of the method uh, that that uh, Krishna gives for yoga as a you know that sit in a you know sit in a comfortable place and then focus your mind. And if you can't do you know if you if you're unable, he says you know Krishna to Arjuna, if you're unable to really focus, then you know you use use uh, the tool of yoga. You know and you know and would you agree with that? I mean, from what you're saying, it suggests that you know there's really no good reason for modern posture yoga as we know it, as we as we both. Oh, there's, there's lots and lots of good reasons for it, but I'd say that the main one that it aims towards, or the the main one that it goes under the guise of, which is spiritual enlightenment or spiritual fulfillment, uh, I don't I, I don't think it cuts the mustard in 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 terms of being able to lead practitioners to that place, but. For sure, there's lots of great reasons to practice. You know, I mean, I'm 45 now, and I can do things with my body that 20 year olds can't do. And you know, so I mean, I'm in good health, and it's earning me a good living. And you know, I've got a great lifestyle. These are all great reasons to do yoga. I enjoy it. You know, and I, it also gives me a platform and an opportunity to share things that I love, which is, you know, like philosophical inquiry and you know, mythology and chanting. I mean, it's, it's, it's a rich culture. I mean, it's an incredibly rich and beautiful culture, but a culture is a culture at the end of the day. Uh, and, you know, just because a culture happens to talk about the space beyond culture, it's still a culture talking about the space beyond culture rather than actually being beyond culture, being in the state of enlightenment or whatever you want to call it. Hmm. Don't think I have anything more to, to, uh, to expand on that, really. <laughs> it also sounds quite how's, how's, dry, how's, though. Quite, it, it sounds quite material though still it's like well you know it gives, you know it gives me health and it gives me you know, money and you know i don't know yeah sure Something. there's moments as well where yeah, like yeah, oh yeah. that was really it's good like, well, the, the mind calms down you know that can yeah. have, it, it can give temporary uh temporary respite from the the pull of the disturbances of the world yeah for sure it can do all that but the world's not going away and, you know, if you want a guru, the world is your guru. You know, yoga can be a really great place to take a respite and uh, gird your loins to face another day. But, you know, life is going to come a knocking and uh, life is going to see how much of a yogi you really are. And it, but it's a, it's okay. If, yeah, if we if we haven't got any um, free will anyway, then um, you know, <laughs> it will. We're kind of left with a kind of a stalemate of just answering what it will be as it is, really. And you know, well, I think and, I think and, oh, where I ultimately come to with it is, you know, I'm I'm an agnostic. You know, can I know whether we have free will? No, I have no idea at all. Can I know whether everything's determined? No, of course I can't. I have absolutely no idea whatsoever. Uh, but the I know that the concepts have been very useful for me uh, when life has come a-knocking strongly and I've been able to view it from a perspective of all of this being God's will, cosmic law, or events happen, deeds are done, consequences happen, but there is no individual doer thereof. It's definitely these concepts have helped me to surrender more to the flow of the ocean of life uh, and to, you know, rather than putting up a strong barrier, trying to hold back the, the tidal wave of life, you know, I've 
being able to surrender to it a bit more. So I think if anything, these 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 concepts can be useful, but at the end of the day, they they're just concepts. Well, I think they inform and enrich one's own whatever one's own behaviour is, whether it's you know physical uh, social behaviours in the world or physical personal behaviours in terms of bodily gestures. Um, I think they they kind of inform and enrich that whole process. And, and doing you know yoga or in, in, living in the world without any kind of framework in which to kind of wrangle with. I mean, you know, we're not necessarily accepting the framework which, of samkhya, but it gives a good it gives a good something to kind of joust with, you know. Um, you know, uh, as I say, food for thought. You know, is uh, is enriching, and, and hence why, you know, why I keep doing these um, these little yeah, chats. Yeah, I, I think so, I think Sankhya is incredibly enriching, and it doesn't get the kind of uh, good press that it deserves. People think that it's a very dry. And well, it's a bit cooler to be a, a more advisor these days, isn't it? Everyone's always, not, always. Not but I think when, when you get to the you know to the, the the pinnacle of both of them, they're almost indistinguishable from one another. Hmm. It's a, a topic for a future chat. <laughs> but, um, um, really, um, it's been a pleasure to have you, Luke. And um, that's a really for, nice talk. Really, Adam, yeah. Yeah. So really, um, interesting and uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of stuff to consider on the back of that. Thank you. Okay. Thanks happy. a lot.